So we're continuing our series today entitled To My Friend Who Left the Faith. And, and during week one of this series, we, we, we really looked at it inside the, the church, in, inside the, the group of believers, and, and, and asked the question, what is your posture when you encounter somebody who is considering leaving the faith? How do you respond whenever you encounter somebody who has doubts about their faith, who has questions about their faith? And then last week, we, we kind of shifted focus, and, and, and hopefully we were able to speak to, to maybe some of you or some of your friends or your family who, 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 who have questions about their faith, who, who may be doubting their faith. And all that we wanted you to know was that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is real reason to believe. But today, my hope is, and God willing, as we, we go through this, this time this morning, is, is that both those who are questioning their faith and, and those who are seemingly committed to their faith, I pray that the Lord will speak to all of us today. So, so this past summer, I had the opportunity to partner with an organization called Christ and Youth and, and, and to travel a couple of weeks to, to go speak at a couple of different conferences. And, 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 and my role whenever I, I go and speak at, at a CIY conference is I'm the morning speaker. So I speak every single morning. But in addition to speaking every morning, I have the opportunity to, to lead a, a couple of different classes. I, I lead a daily class for graduated seniors, which is always fun. But then CIY, each and every year, they ask me if I would do a class called Top 3. And top three is, is, is literally just a carte blanche, Andy, talk about whatever you want to talk about. What are the three main things that you want to communicate to high school students? And so this year, I, as I was thinking about it, and as I was trying to figure out what I want to talk, there's one thing that is always on my top three. I always spend the majority of the class talking about, there's reasons you can have confidence in the resurrection. Like, I feel like that is so foundational to faith that if there's anything I could communicate to high school students, if there's anything I could communicate to adults, it's that. But then in addition to that, I, I talked about how, how uh, following Jesus was never meant to be easy, was my second in, in, in my top three, but then my, my, my third one in my top three kind of goes with what we're talking about today, and it was this. Just because a Christian lets you down does not mean that Jesus has let you down. Just because a Christian has let you down does not mean that Jesus has let you down. And earlier this summer, the, the reason this was on my heart so much is is there's a church that is very, very well known around the world. It began in, in Australia. It's a church called Hillsong. Hillsong is, is known for their music, but, but here in the last several years, they've been known for other things as well. And, and over the course of the past year, year and a half, a couple of documentaries have been made kind of about the, 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 the downfall of, of Hillsong, the, 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 the abusive leadership, the... The, the manipulation of volunteers and, and just all kinds of things. And, 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 and at the end of one of these documentaries, the, the, the documentary crew, they went to everybody that they had talked to throughout the documentary and kind of just gave, asked them, where are you now? And the answers to that question broke my heart. These people who had been hurt by Hillsong Church, they said things like this. That was the last church I'll ever go to on this side of heaven. Another person said, I don't even consider myself a Christian anymore. I don't know what to do with all the deep questions that I used to be, that, that, that I used to have answers to, but, but now I'm okay with that. Another person said, after my fallout with the church, I decided that none of it is real. 
That if people want to believe in it, good for them, but it's not for me. Another person simply just said, it's been four years since I've stepped into the church. And if you're familiar with Hillsong's story at all, let me assure you, I am not here to justify anything that Hillsong has done. But I do want us to recognize and I do want us to understand that, that Hillsong Church, LeClaire Christian Church, First Baptist Church, First United Methodist Church, First Presbyterian Church, whatever first you want to put in front of the church, you know, like, think of them all. Every single church are organizations that are run by sinful people. Whenever we do our Leclerc, or whenever we do our Discover Leclerc class, one of the things that we always try to make sure that people understand is this. There will come a time whenever we let you down. It will not be intentional, and, 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 and there will be times whenever you were right and we were wrong, and, and there may be times whenever you were wrong and, and, and we were right, but, but, but there will come a time whenever we upset you in some way. But I want you to understand that, that the church is run by sinful people, and, and I understand that that is a very, very great responsibility. But if the church lets you down, if a Christian lets you down, even though we are to be examples of Jesus, we still are not Jesus. But whenever you Google any, you know, what's the top five, what's the top ten, what's the top three, what's the top 50 reasons that people leave the faith, on every single list, I am pretty sure every single list I saw at least, every list had something about hypocrisy. Something about Christians failing. And I promise you, if that's where you are today, if you're kind of struggling with your faith because of the way that you see Christians act, on the surface, I completely get it. And it breaks my heart whenever I hear about people who leave the faith because of the shortcomings and the failures and the hurtful attitudes of people who, be, who claim to be followers of Jesus. But I want you to understand something this morning. No matter how much it breaks my heart whenever people leave the faith for that reason, I can promise you that it breaks Jesus' heart even more. And not only does it break Jesus' heart even more, it infuriates him. The word is hypocrite. It's a word that we're all pretty accustomed to. It's a word that's made its way into our everyday life. It the, the, the common definition that we use for the word hypocrite is whenever a person's actions don't match their words, right? You have a boss who says, don't be late, but then every day the boss shows up late. You have parents who say, watch your language to their child, but then the parent does not watch their language at all. But the word hypocrite, it is all those things, but, but, but it's more. The word hypocrite comes from a, a Greek word that points all the way back to the theater. And, and, and it, it really is founded in, in actors who were playing a role. The word me, literally means to, to play a role. It's to act as someone that you are not. And just as, as, as it would be in the very first century in Jesus' day, there was a town about less than four miles away from, from Nazareth where in Galilee, where Jesus grew up, you could get to this little town called Sepphoris within an hour's walk from Jesus' home 
in Nazareth, and the thing that Sepphoris was known for was it was known for this great theater where they put on great productions. And, and so from childhood, Jesus would have been familiar with this stage, and he also would have been familiar with the, the hypocrites. Then you fast forward in, in, into Jesus' ministry just a little bit, and, and you see that Jesus had some pretty strong words for the hypocrites. He had some strong words for those who, who claimed to be one thing, but they really were not that thing. You go to Matthew chapter 23, and you just see Jesus just unload on all these hypocrites, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. You, 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 you hypocrites, you blind guides, you, you brood of vipers, he would say. He would say, you are like whitewashed tombs, although you look good on the outside. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. He said, you're like somebody who cleans the outside of the dish, so the outside of the dish looks clean, but you neglect the inside of the dish, the, the hypocrites who are playing a part on the outside and, and to the public, they look good, but on the inside and in private, they are unclean. Their actions and their words, they don't line up. Something on the inside is, is wrong. And so I want you to listen to this story. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to begin here in verse 21. If you have your Bible, feel free to follow along with me. If not, we'll have it up here on the screen. It says this, Then, then Peter, he came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. This is, this is the setup to the story. You have Peter who who oftentimes wanted to be perceived in a certain light. And so he comes up to Jesus and he asks this very simple question. How, how many times should I forgive my brother and my sister whenever they sin against me? And the reason he's asking this question is because all rabbis had always taught throughout all Jewish history that there was a, a, a real answer to that question. And the answer to that question was, how many times should I forgive my brother and my sister when they sin against me? Three or four is what the rabbis had always taught. Three or four times, and, and, and if they continue to, to sin against you after three or four times, it's okay to wash your hands of them, you know, wipe your hands of them, to, to wipe off the dust on your sandals and to just leave them behind. And, and so Peter comes to Jesus and he's like, I'm going to look so good and I'm going to look so gracious. I'm not just going to do the three or four times, I'm going to double it. And so he comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, Jesus, how many times should I send my brother or my sister where they sin against me. Seven times, right? Isn't that good? That good? And, 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 and Jesus, he's, it's almost like Jesus is thinking, Peter, if, if you're keeping track of how many times you've forgiven someone, if you're keeping tabs on it, then you're not really forgiving them. All you're doing is you're postponing your revenge. And so some translations, they don't even just say 77 times. Some translations say Seventy times seven times. The number is pretty irrelevant. The, the point that Jesus is making is quit trying to keep track. Just continue to forgive. But it leads to this story where Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 
I mean, we are talking about tens of millions, upwards of a trillion dollars in today's currency. And since he was not able to pay, which, I mean, makes a lot of sense, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And whenever the master, he gives the servant this word, the At this servant, he fell on his knees before his master, and he said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And at that, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt. If you want my primary definition for forgiveness, it's cancel the debt. The master canceled the debt, and he let him go. But then later that day, you know... uh, that very same servant, he went out and he found one of his fellow servants. So this was a guy who had a little bit of, 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 of money, but he found his own servant who owed him a hundred silver coins, not gold coins. This is anywhere from one to probably $10,000 maybe. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his servant did the same thing that he had just done moments earlier. He fell on his knees and and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. That sounds familiar. But this time that man, he, he refused. And instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, which just seems like the most counterintuitive thing in the entire world. How are you supposed to repay a debt whenever you're just sitting in a prison cell? But then when the other servants, this is so important, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Christian, just so you know, um, whenever you claim the name of Jesus and then live nothing like him, it frustrates other Christians. To to you who may be doubting your faith or something like that, like, Whenever, whenever we as Christians, whenever we claim the name of Jesus but don't live like him, it, 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 it frustrates us. I was having lunch recently with a friend, and, and, and we were talking, and I mean, kind of the topic of the Tillsong documentary and everything came up, and, and I, I was getting ready to, to, to go on a trip to Colorado, and, and, and so I told him, I was like, yeah, man, whenever I'm, whenever I'm on an airplane, like, one of my greatest fears is that somebody's going to ask, what do you do for a living? Because I know whenever I tell them what I do for a living, the thing that's possibly, I don't want to project too much on people, but in my own insecurity, the thing that's going to come into their mind is what they hear about people who do what I do for a living whenever they hear about them and what they do on the news. That's what I think they're going to think about me. And so it's like, I, I, I just don't want them. I, I, I just don't want them to know. That's what we have going on here. You have these servants, and they see the hypocrisy of this one man, and it infuriates them, so they go to the master, and they tell him everything that that happened. Then the master called called the servant in. He, He said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how My heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. 
from your heart. So you have the one guy who, who owes anywhere from $10 million to, to over a, a, a trillion dollars, and, and he goes to his master, he begs for patience, and the, the master forgives the debt. He cancels the debt. Then that same guy, he has a servant who owes him at most $10,000. The guy, he begs for, 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 for patience, and, and he literally refuses. He's not willing. He, he made a conscious decision to harden his heart, and he demands it all back. He chokes him out, and he throws him into prison. The other servants, they go to the master, and the master says, you wicked servant, and he hands him over to be tortured until he can pay it all back. The, the, the question that has to be asked here is this. Could someone really be forgiven of, of tens of millions of dollars, and then within a day, a week, a few hours, could they then demand repayment of only a few thousand? And unfortunately, the answer is Yes. How? Unfortunately, we probably understand this better than, than we'd like to admit. How can this be? It's the same way that maybe on a Sunday morning you come in here and, and, and you're convicted in, to, to, to your core. Maybe you beg for the forgiveness of God on a Sunday morning, but then you refuse to give it to somebody else on Monday. But, but why? why? Why did Jesus have to share this story? And, and why can we all relate with this story more than we'd like to admit? In the book, to my friend who, who left the faith, Wade Bearden, he, he writes about how his understanding of this parable, it, it began to change over time. He, he says this, he says, I remember years ago talking to my future father-in-law about the parable. He was skeptical of how most people discussed the story, and he offered me his theory. He said that the main character went after the individual who owed him next to nothing because he didn't really believe the king had forgiven him. He likely thought that his day of reckoning was still to come, just only later. And so the man believed that the king would one day call on him to repay his generosity. And because of that, he needed to be ready. And so he believed that he needed to go collect all the debts that were owed to him, that he needed to start investing, he needed to start saving because he was going to have to pay the king back one way or another. And, and you better have something to show for it when the piper struts down Main Street. It's an interesting theory, isn't it? Why did the man for, refuse to forgive? Because he didn't believe that he was truly forgiven. He didn't believe that he was truly forgiven, and so he believed that he had to go and collect everything he could so that way whenever the master did come to demand his repayment, he had something to give. He had a way to still look good in front of the master whenever the master came calling. But Jesus isn't saying that we must earn forgiveness by forgiving others. He's saying that those of us who have truly experienced God's grace will naturally want to give grace to others. He's saying that, that, that if you don't forgive your brother or your sister or your neighbor, that that is a sign that your heart has never really been open to the master's grace. Why did he go and, and choke this guy out? He, he went and choked this guy out because he didn't, he didn't believe that the king's gift was really free. He, he hadn't opened his heart to the mercy and the grace that was shown to him. Warren Wiersbe, he puts it like this, many Christians have received forgiveness but they have not really experienced forgiveness. Thus, they are unable to, to share forgiveness. And so as we, 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 we move on, I, I want us just to real quickly look at what are, what are the causes of hypocrisy? 
What are the causes of hypocrisy? Because it's not necessarily as, as simple as Christians are just a bunch of fakes and phonies, even though that does happen from time to time. So, so, so what are the causes of hypocrisy? What, what is it that, that causes people to become hypocrites? Here, here's one reason. Some people who claim to follow Jesus don't really know Jesus. Some people who claim to follow Jesus don't really know Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says that whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, that person is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Some people claim to know Jesus, but they don't but they claim to follow Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. In other words, just because you go to church, just because they claim to be a Christian, just because they think that they are, doesn't mean that spiritually they've been made new. It doesn't mean that they've been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the reason that Jesus again would say in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of God. Just because you claim Christ doesn't mean that you've been transformed by Christ. I've said it for years, and I still believe that it's true. Even in the world that we're in today, and, and, and with so much just, 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 just nastiness, I guess is the best way to put it, I, I still believe whenever you look at the church that the greatest threat to the church today is people who claim the name of Jesus but live nothing like him. But listen... This person really isn't a hypocrite. This is just a person who's in desperate need of the grace of Jesus. Another reason why, 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 why people, you know, or the, the, the hypocrisy is, is that there are some who simply don't know better. There are some people who just simply don't know better quite yet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world or, or as though you were infants in Christ. There are simply people who just don't know better yet. You, 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 you look at this, this big spiritual word of sanctification and, 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 and this process of becoming more like Christ. And we know that sanctification is not an A to B. It's not always going up and to the right on a chart. We, we talked about this a couple of, uh, of months ago, how, how spiritual growth isn't this up and to the right kind of thing. Far too often, spiritual growth looks more like an EK. Gee, there are so many people who they're, they're just simply still growing. They're still maturing in Christ. There are brand new Christians who still may be a little rough around the edges. But what they need is, is instruction. They need love. They need coaching. They need discipleship. This may look like hypocrisy, but really it's just immaturity. And there are far too many Christians who are far too happy to just stay in this spot. Use it as a reason, you know, like to, to do whatever you want. I'm just still immature, but I want you to know if you're somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus, this is not a spot that you can stay. This is the reason why, why filling yourself up with the Word of God is so important. This is the reason why, why being connected to a church, a, a group, a community of believers is so important. This is the reason that accountability is, solely, or is so important. This is the reason that, that praying daily that, that not my will but your will be done is so important. This is the reason why surrendering daily is, is so 
important that, yes, we will still have moments of immaturity, and yes, there is great grace and great mercy for that as long as we're on this side of heaven, but we still must desire and intend to grow. We must desire to live the life that Jesus desires for us to live and not just be okay with where we are today. But the final reason would be that that there are people who know better, but they just simply choose to disobey. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And this church is the true hypocrite. This is the one who believes that they are above the rules. This is the one who can look at their sin and they can rationalize it. This is the one who can look at their sin and they can justify it. This is the one who can look at their sin and they can shift the blame and the responsibility off of themselves. This is the one who's looking to manipulate. This is the one who looks to be served and not to serve. This is the one that has a certain set of expectations for others, but those expectations don't match the expectations that they have for themselves. So what do we do? How do we avoid hypocrisy? I believe that if we want to avoid hypocrisy, that it really comes down to having a proper view of God and a proper view of yourself. If you want to avoid hypocrisy, you cannot minimize your sin and you must repent of your sin. Hypocrites don't claim to be perfect. They just think that their sins aren't that bad. Hypocrites don't, don't, don't deny their sin, they just minimize their sin. But the proper response to sin, as always, is to confess it to God and to mourn over it because it breaks God's hearts. We are to see our sin in the worst possible light, knowing that no matter how badly we see our own sin, that God sees it much, much worse, as he is a holy God. But the hypocrite does the opposite of this. The response to to, to sin is is to lessen it, to minimize its significance or the the wrongdoing in church. As we can see in this story, that infuriates Jesus. So don't excuse your sin. Acknowledge your sin. And the warning sign of hypocrisy is when your heart leaps to excuse your sin rather than confess it. When you're when, when, when your energy goes into ex- excusing or defending your actions, even when you recognize that those actions are wrong and sinful, you are doubling down on your sin rather than bowing down in repentance. The proud heart seeks to justify itself, but the repentant heart gives up self-justification because it is pointless. You go and you look at that text in Matthew chapter 23, and again, you see the way that Jesus talks to the hypocrites and And one of the names that he gives them is is he calls them blind fools. You can't see what you can't see. And and that's the problem with, with hypocrisy is that we all can be blind fools. So often we don't mourn our sin or we don't repent of our sin simply because we don't see our sin. It's so easy to convince ourselves of, of the righteousness that we don't have while failing to see the sin that we do have to convince ourselves that we can be good and right with God apart from Jesus. But this is why confession is so important. But we cannot confess what we have not mourned, and we cannot grieve what we do not see, and we cannot repent of what we have not confessed. So one of the most important things we can learn to do as Jesus followers by God's grace is to see our sin and confess it. 
So here's the bottom line for today's message. People are messy, and I am people. People are messy, and I am people. Christian, we must continually remind ourselves of God's grace. Do you truly believe that it's free? Or do, is there a part of you that believes that God's going to come knocking and expect you to have all the good things to show that he promised that he would give to you? But if we don't believe that it's free, we'll turn our faith into a competition. We'll turn our faith into who can have the most power, who can have the most influence, who can appear the most right. We'll treat others poorly because we must find a way to get ahead. We'll create hierarchies to support our standing before God. But, but church, those of you who, who claim to be followers of Jesus, you must know that your actions matter. When you claim the name of Jesus, when you claim to be a follower of Jesus, the standard raises. You are no longer held to the standard of your neighbor. You are now held to the standard of Christ. And yes, you will fall short, I promise you. But I also promise you that there is grace and mercy and forgiveness available when you do. But that's not an excuse to just live life however you want. Because you are still called to model the ways of Christ and to live the life that he desires for you to live. And to those of you who may be outside the faith or questioning your faith, you have a friend or a family member who, who is in this place. Maybe you've heard somebody tell you, you know, I, 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 I just can't do it because all Christians are hypocrites. All Christians are this or that. I, I want so badly for you to see the reaction of the king in this story today. I want you to see the way that Jesus spoke to the hypocrites throughout his ministry. The hypocrisy of Christians is not a sign that Jesus is okay with our actions. It's a sign that people are messy and we are people. And on the surface, again, I totally understand why the actions of people who claim to follow Jesus could cause you to question Jesus. But please hear me out. Not a single one of those Christians who have let you down has the ability to save you. You're turning away from the one who does have the ability to save you because of the actions of one who does not. And if we can get just one or two levels below the surface... I believe we'll see that just doesn't make sense. God is a God of grace and forgiveness because God invites everyone to his table. Life in Christian community will be messy, but we must continually strive to offer the same grace that God offers us through Jesus Christ. The church can be messy. I have stories over 20 plus years of doing this. I would love, I mean, they're fun. They're, they are entertaining stories. 
The church can be messy, a difficult place, because it's a place that unusually messy people will be found because it's a place that's supposed to welcome everybody. Love isn't just hanging out with people we like and then judging others from afar. Love is hanging out with people we may not always like and pushing for growth so that we all become better for Christianity. That better is the person of Jesus. And so I don't believe that the answer is to just simply leave the church and go be nice people. And again, I get why you may feel that way from time to time, but being kind will never save you. Only Jesus can save you. It's true, the church is filled with hypocrites. But couldn't those hypocrites just be a sign that this whole thing's working? That the church is doing what the church is supposed to do? Broken, messy people slowly being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's the goal. That's all right. People are messy. And I am people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for today. And God, I just pray in this moment that you will speak loudly and clearly to us. Hey, Jesus, for those of us who claim to follow you, that we will not be okay with the actions that, that don't line up with you. And for those who, who don't follow you or are questioning if they want to follow you, Father, I pray, I pray that they will be able to see that just because Christians have failed them, have hurt them, that doesn't mean that you have. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Right now.